politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at Blaze Media. Daniel Horowitz back in the house Wednesday, September 23rd. And folks, if you haven't heard yesterday's episode, that's episode 723. Today is 724. Go back and listen to it. Um, it's one of our longest, almost like an hour and a half show. And we had Professor Derek Muller on constitutional law uh, from Pepperdine Law School. And, you know, of all the shows I've had, I think that really is one of my best presentations on why the so-called appointing better judges, albeit retaining the system of judicial tyranny, judicial supremacism, is never going to work for us. Okay, it's just not. So I advise you go back and listen to that because I did want to add a couple of points today to some of our discussion um, before we get to back to the virus because there's a lot of important information out there, a lot of new literature, data points uh, that some of my friends have researched, uh, some new uh, studies out that really demonstrate that we are screwing with God's immunological ecosystem and we are actually doing the opposite of what we think we're doing. We're turning a virus into a vaccine, a vaccine into a virus. We are, by locking down the young with the old, the healthy with the sick, we are actually making everyone worse off, including the immunocompromised, by the way. And that is um, it's something that we really need to debate. But we were told to just mask up and shut up. You are not allowed to say anything. You're not allowed to um, fight back. Very close to losing the First Amendment, but we're losing every aspect of the Bill of Rights. And before I get back to the virus news from a scientific standpoint, I just want to get back to the legal side and the Supreme Court vacancy. Because the two issues really do merge very well. The biggest infringement upon liberty that we have ever had since the settlement of this continent is corona fascism. Okay, I mean, the Bill of Rights has been suspended. The Constitution has been suspended. So we do need to know where our nominee is constitutionally, at least in a broad sense, on state powers, federal powers, as it relates to mask mandates, quarantines, travel bans on Americans, you know, what sort of evidentiary standards a state has to prove and demonstrate in order to just infringe upon broad civil liberties, do so arbitrarily, executively, indefinitely. I mean, it amazes me how we speak about the Supreme Court and the judiciary and judges and the Constitution in the abstract when we have the biggest constitutional fire raging right in front of our eyes and we don't connect the two. Like, hey, well, ought we see where the prospective shortlist nominee potentials stand on these issues? And again, I'm not coming from a bad vantage point like, oh, I think they're bad. I actually think in general the roster is better than the other times. But we don't know. So number one, I don't have time to get through it today, but I updated my list I published three years ago with the Gorsuch nomination. 
I updated it to a list of 16 specific questions, and some of them have sub-questions, that should be asked at least privately of any nominee. And if this person really is an originalist, whoever it winds up being, we should easily have answers to those questions. They are black and white if you are an originalist. Now, I want to just follow up on just one concern that's being raised about Amy Barrett and this ruling on Illinois Governor Pritzker's corona fascist uh, stay-at-home orders. If you want to look at it, it's Illinois Republican Party v. Pritzker. It was decided September 3rd. Two Trump appointees, St. Eve and Barrett, but it was written by Diane Wood, a very liberal Clinton appointee in the Seventh Circuit. And I'm not saying this is a deal breaker to me. I generally really do like Amy Barrett in many ways, and um, this doesn't fundamentally change it, but it just demonstrates that, you know, it's not just, oh my gosh, we have to hide them and just glide them through the nomination uh, process, confirmation process, uh, shield them from Democrat questions. No, I want Republicans and conservatives to be asking questions, not in a nasty way, but 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 to just get a sense of where you are constitutionally on some very key things. In fact, the most relevant and consequential issue of our time, we need to know where they stand. Now, remember, there's pitfalls with gleaning lower court opinions where they didn't even write, but they signed on to, and it was unanimous. It was another Trump appointee who signed on to this, basically saying they don't see any constitutional problems with what Pritzker did. Now, like I said before, in gen- generally speaking, I have no problem with a justice saying, look, you know, this is a broadly political issue. You have to fight it out politically. I don't want to get involved. But the problem is this opinion by Diane Wood, the, the verbiage is very problematic in, in its expression of the Constitution. Now, we could talk about how does someone have valid standing? I mean, this was the Republican Party. It wasn't an individual business owner. Certainly, I mean, again, I, I don't think this is what Barrett and Wood are doing. And if Barrett meant that, she should have written a separate concurrence saying it. But I could see a, a, an originalist constitutionalist saying, well, look, business owners are crushed. Churches are crushed. Let them bring a lawsuit. What's this Republican Party thing? But that's not really what's being addressed here. They directly seem to say there is constitutional authority for a governor to do this stuff. Now, look, generally speaking, you know where I am on these issues. I believe that the courts have nine times out of ten concocted BS rights out of the 14th Amendment that don't exist. But that doesn't mean that one out of 10, there aren't real rights that are expressed in the 14th Amendment. Now, those are not new rights. Those are the same natural rights that were always understood in the colonies. Didn't even need a Bill of Rights to affirm them, but we did codify that into the federal constitution with the Bill of Rights. In Article 4, Section 2, states were always precluded from violating the privileges and immunities of citizens. And that meant essentially the Bill of Rights. A state cannot 
A state can do a lot of things that are not enumerated powers, unlike the feds that are constrained to those enumerated powers, but they cannot infringe upon unalienable rights. What the 14th Amendment did is it reaffirmed that with the Privileges and Immunities Clause, in my view, not the Due Process and Equal Protection Clause. But it also gave an enforcement mechanism for the feds to go after the states who do that. Okay, that, that is a reality. That is what the 14th Amendment did. The 14th Amendment does exist. Just because it's bastardized 90% of the time doesn't mean there are not legitimate ways for a state to violate that. Now, you could talk about whether a judge should get involved, rules of standing, ripeness, or if it is legitimate, are they the final say? Which I certainly believe they're not. But nonetheless, if you are a judge and a case is brought in front of you, you have to give a valid exposition of a constitutional provision. And what Diane Wood put in here is very problematic, but it was signed off by two Trump judges, one of them being Amy Barrett. And this is the money paragraph I want to point you to on page 6 to page 7 of the ruling. The next question relates to the overall validity of Executive Order 43 and orders like it, which have been issued in the midst of a general pandemic. As we noted in Elam, the Supreme Court addressed this type of measure more than a century ago in Jacobson v. Massachusetts, 1905. The district court appropriately looked to Jacobson for guidance, as do we. The question the court faced there concerned vaccination requirements of the city of Cambridge had put in place in response to the smallpox epidemic. The law made an exception for children who had a physician certificate stating that they were unfit subjects for vaccination, but it was otherwise comprehensive. Faced with a lawsuit by a man who did not wish to be vaccinated and who contended that the city's requirement violated the 14th Amendment right to liberty, the court ruled for the city. In doing so, it held that it was appropriate to defer to the city's assessment of the value of vaccinations, an assessment it noted that was shared by the mass of the people as well as by most members of the medical profession and in most civilized nations, it thus held that, quote, the safety and the health of the people of Massachusetts are in the first instance for that commonwealth to guard and protect and that it did not perceive that this le- legislation has invaded any rights secured by the federal constitution. And then she goes on to say, at least at this stage of the pandemic, Jacobson takes off the table any general challenge to EO 43, which, you know, it was, it's essentially what all governors have been doing based on the 14th amendment's protection of Liberty. Like the other, like the order designed to combat smallpox epidemic EO 43 is an order designed to address a serious public health crisis at this stage in present litigation. No one is alleging that the governor lacks the power to issue such orders as a matter of state law. Instead, our case presents a more granular challenge to the governor's action one that focuses on his decision to subject the exercise of religion only to recommended measures rather than mandatory ones, yada, yada. Now, it gets a little bit more nuanced, but that is a very categorical line that Jacobson takes off the table any challenge to the, any 14th Amendment challenge to corona fascism. Right? Remember, they're not talking about vaccination. Right, that would be more of an apples to apples comparison. It's saying because they, they, they said you could get a smallpox, you could force a smallpox vaccination. Well, essentially, 
that means that there's no 14th Amendment violation. So, I mean, I take that to mean I could put you in in, internment camps, which they actually have written into a lot of state executive orders. They haven't really implemented them yet, but they are on the books. They could shut down businesses and churches with any threshold, and there's no 14th Amendment violation of that. And that's simply not true. It's First Amendment, it's Fourth Amendment, it's Fifth Amendment, codified, incorporated against the states by the Privileges and Immunities Clause. That is simply not true. And by the way, before I go on, I do want to announce today our special, special sponsor, ExpressVPN. Because we're talking about constitutional rights, and we are really losing our First Amendment. You're not allowed to publish any material questioning the corona fascism facebook has flagged so many of my articles my fan page is practically riddled with their stupid messages big tech and big government are very similar and the courts aren't going to help us with either of them they both want to silence dissenting voices into submission let's say you're a proud gun owner you want to talk on social media about the right to bear arms or if you just want to fight corona fascism well guess what you get flagged to fight back against having your voice censored by both big tech and big government. I recommend express VPN. Believe me, I'm using it myself because I am getting censored. When I use express VPN, they can't see my IP address at all. My identity is completely anonymous. There's a secure VPN server that keeps it anonymous. Express VPN encrypts hundred percent of my internet data. So that also just aside from this, protects you from hackers and eavesdroppers. ExpressVPN is by far the best VPN I've ever tried. Um, it's number one rated by CNET, Wired, and countless other tech publications. What I love most about ExpressVPN is it couldn't be easier to use. I always hate scrambling around with you know different devices, but the app has one button, tap it, you're protected, it's done, and you, you do each one of your devices. So stop letting big tech and big government censor and track you. Defend your rights. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash conservative. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash conservative to get three months free. Visit expressvpn.com slash conservative to learn more. So that's the thing. We do have constitutional rights and they are not being protected by the courts And that's why I'm worried about this decision. This is problematic in many ways. As we noted, Jacobson is crap. Okay? I, you know, the the notion that government could force you to take a positive action, regulate your inactivity, that is liberty defined by by Blackstone. To, to, To walk in locomotion without being harassed. It's the same thing with a mask mandate. Now, I understand masks were not part of this lawsuit, But it's a similar thing, and I believe they do violate the 14th Amendment. As much as I am very much not a hawk on 14th Amendment-izing things, but this really does. That is personal liberty at its core. Because it's not like you're even regulating an activity. You're regulating inactivity. You're compelling activity. There's no way that passes muster with the Constitution. That's like NFIB v. Sibelius, which everyone agrees that the actual individual mandate was unconstitutional. 
to say you must purchase health insurance. You must wear a mask. You must get a vaccination. Number two, that was a smallpox vaccination that was proven to be effective for a long period of time. That, that cannot be used for a new vaccination that is rushed and very political. That's number one. Now, not that we're talking about vaccinations, and it certainly can't be extrapolated to other random arbitrary things like, hey, you know, you do this activity, you're essential. Oh, you do this. Oh, you know, um, restaurants have to be shut down because they're spreading COVID. You have to wear a mask. Oh, but, it, but you could take it out off to eat. Well, either you're spreading it or not. Well, Daniel, you have to eat. Yeah, but so what? Then just close the restaurant. I mean, it's all political, right? In other words, whether you agree with mandated vaccines or not, that was more of a straight shot. It was one thing consistent that had been proven to be effective. This is riddled with hypocrisy, just even under their own construction of the science. And then Jacobson itself is very tenuous, right? I mean, this is what I can't stand about the one directional stare decisis. It's like, really? Like, they'll say she's a lower court judge and this is a Supreme Court decision. You might not like it, but only the Supreme Court could overturn Jacobson. Well, first of all, that should be a question we ask of a nominee. Was Jacobson rightly decided if you're going to sit on the Supreme Court? Why am I the only one even trying to ask this question? And this is not just of Amy Barrett, but really anyone. I don't know how any of them feel. I want to know. I don't know necessarily, necessarily how Clarence Thomas feels about it, but this is something we should know. I mean, he's already on the court, but I'm, you, you get what I'm saying. So that's number one. And number two is, like, it means an uninterrupted stream of case law that's more recent. If you want to pick any court case from anywhere, anytime, give me a break. The lower courts ignore that all the time when they want to. Okay, so, like, I don't want to hear from that. Now, if this were written directly by Amy Barrett, it would be very problematic in my view. Now, it's written by Diane Wood. You could say there were any number of reasons she felt that the lawsuit just, it this particular lawsuit with these particular arguments in the standing, I haven't studied it well enough, but I still think I would have like to have seen a concurrence being a little bit more precise, raising some of the concerns that Alito had about applying Jacobson in the California church case, rather than just straight up saying Jacobson green lights all this. A, Jacobson is still good law, and B, Jacobson green lights essentially anything, and there can't be a 14th Amendment um, check on this. And remember, this is not from March. This is September 3rd. After we've seen a wealth of the pseudoscience on this and how this is very much in contention, it's not universal at all in terms of the science, and that is very disturbing. You would hope that, I mean, really even beyond abortion and and, and the homosexual agenda and transgenderism... And election law, all the immigration, all the things that we really look carefully towards, and they're on my list. You got to have on your list of questions at the top of it. I mean, I think it's at the bottom of my list uh, numerically, but you know, you where do you stand on this stuff? Where do you stand on Jacobson? Where do you stand on interstate 
travel bans? Where do you stand on indefinite stay-at-home orders? Where do you stand on First Amendment closing down churches? Let me give you an interesting question that should come up in a lawsuit, but I haven't seen it yet, which is this. I have to wear a mask to go anywhere indoors in the state of Maryland. That seems to be the case in most states now. What about to vote? What about to vote? Well, presumably, they make you wear a mask to go to vote. Now, look, I have said before that I don't believe voting is an unalienable right. It's close to it, but it's not quite there. Um, It's not like, you know, going to church, having some sort of ability to earn a living with your business and not be shut down. I'm not going to say, in my view, being able to vote without a mask is quite on the same level as the other stuff. But what I will say is our courts have treated voting as a fundamental right, whether it's right or wrong. So I don't like these conservative jurists having it both ways. Like they don't overturn the fundamental garbage, but then they don't apply it when we need it. Right? I don't like that. So what I'm referring to is there's a very important case from two years ago. I can't believe it was two years ago. It seems like yesterday. Minnesota Voter Alliance v. Mansky in 2018. Now, basically, Minnesota had a law, as, as really most states do, but they picked on this one, dating back to the 1800s. So, so this is you know very well established, very common sense. Among all the things states do to regulate us that is so political and capricious and arbitrary and stupid and often unjust and unconstitutional, this really was very sane, where they just barred T-shirts and certain political expression apparel in the polling stations. And it was very equal. It was liberal and conservative, Democrat, Republican. And, you know, it's, it's very common sense that you don't, we have a very polarized society now. You don't want, I mean, well, it was established a long time ago, but you get the point. You don't want fights and disruption. There is a very compelling state interest in doing that. We're not trying to stifle you. You could speak outside the polls. You could speak anywhere else. We just don't want fighting in the while people are online. We want a safe environment, right? To me, it's it's a very common sense, facially neutral state regulation. Okay, it's been long standing, been implemented at a time when we had a much more laissez faire, free society, you know, less nanny state type of government, and they've had that in place. Nonetheless, nine to zero. I mean, it was seven to two because. Two justices had procedural issues with it, but but not, nine justices, including Clarence Thomas, they all said, no, it's fundamental right, First Amendment. I have a First Amendment right, um, and, and and you can't you can't uh, take that away from me. And it's it's too broad. It was too broad of a ban. And I'll be honest with you, I really did not like that opinion, not politically, just academically. You know, I again, I have no dog in that fight. It was. Um, you know, the litigants were uh, a coalition of people on the right and left. It wasn't a partisan ruling, and I don't think um, the justices were trying to be political there. I think, you know, they genuinely felt that way. It was, it was uh, unanimous. But I disagree even with Clarence Thomas. I, I don't think that the state has to avail you the opportunity, even in a public state-owned place, at any given moment to express everything, right? You know what I mean? Like, you don't, 
they, they, they could say the same way they could say like they could regulate certain signages. And I know this is very contentious and the courts have really been very liberal with this. But, you know, I very much believe that you have certain townships at a local, very micro level that the people could vote and decide on an ordinance that they don't want their place littered. Now, again, there's lines there because depending on where it is on my property, I do have a right on my own property to express my support for a candidate. But just in terms of like sometimes it gets out of hand and they can have a certain just aesthetic view that they want has nothing to do with trying to box out a certain candidate. I do think a state does have that power. But nonetheless, you are telling me that I have the right to take an action. I have the right to wear any number of particularized political message t-shirts in a polling place. But you're going to tell me I don't have the right to merely walk in breathing fresh air and not have my face covered and not be compelled to take an action to cover my lungs and my humanity and my dignity in a polling place? Fundamental right to vote. You're taking that away. Oh, well, well, Daniel, no, there's state interest because you're spreading disease. So let's just take it as a given that masks help. Of course, they don't. But, I mean, there's a compelling safety interest to stop fighting, which is which is really, I mean, in this climate, if you have certain really offensive, not offensive, but um, uh, just provocative T-shirts on any side, I mean, you are going to have fights. I mean, believe me, <laughs> in this era of Antifa and BLM, Look, the DHS and the liberals will say is right-wing terrorist too. It's made up, but fine, I'll indulge that. Right-wing fighters, left-wing fighters. That's a state interest. You see what I'm saying? Somehow we get constitutional when we want, and I don't like that. If we are going to have the courts as the final arbiter, I want a justice that is going to agree with me like the left has those that agree with them. And again, I don't mean a judge that's going to implement my policies when it's not compelled by the Constitution the way the left does, but I do mean in at least an intellectually honest way, you know, if we're going to have this strike down business, well, I want regulations struck down when they legitimately do violate the Constitution, even if maybe you would say it shouldn't be a gestatiable case. So again, this is something just to look at with the corona fascism with all them but if I were Josh Hawley, who you know seems to be more inclined to try to challenge some of the Trump nominees to really say, hey, are you really with us? This is a question I would ask and I, and I am uh, concerned about. But anyway, folks, I want to change gears here. I want to change gears to God's immunological ecosystem. What if I told you that we are actually taking God's blessing and making it a curse. We are actually, with this notional false positive testing, discovering what is essentially a vaccine, okay? And making that a bad thing. And making that like the disease. We are taking the actual process that has ensured that for most people, but certainly kids, but really most adults too, this is nothing too mild, very mild at worst, a flu, but subclinical for 99% of people, we are inverting that actual process that made it that way 
and are going to make people more prone to get sick. There is some new research out that really lends credence to the fact that above and beyond the typical false positives that we have with the PCR test, which are very significant. Remember, if you have a 3% false positive rate, 2% false, let's say 2% false positive rate, even 1% false positive rate, but you only 3% or 4% of the test results are positive, that's a heck of a percentage. You get 25-50% of the positives being false at any given time. And by the way, I just want to note a friend of mine put this out and sent this to me. If you look at Moderna, their um, vaccine guidance, right? So they have guidance for their vaccines. So when you're testing a vaccine, they're testing um, the primary primary efficacy endpoint. You know, this is that that stage of the process of testing a vaccine, well, you have to test someone who has it, right? You test someone who's infected with COVID-19 and then you give them a, you know, you, you give them a vaccine. The part, they know, well, what, what constitutes a positive? The participant must have experienced at least two of the following symptoms. Fever, chills, myalgia, headache, sore throat, taste disorders, or at least one of the following respiratory symptoms, cough, shortness of breath, difficulty breathing, or clinical or radio, radiographical evidence of pneumonia. And a positive PCR test. So isn't it interesting that FD, the FDA's guidance for vaccines is that a positive means a test plus symptoms, but in terms of controlling our lives... And locking us down with mandatory quarantine and shutting schools and classes, it's just a plain positive test. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I have a friend of mine who got screwed with the following scenario with his kids and their work schedule. His second grader was in a school where the it was a private school. They would go carpool with each other. And mind you, they mandate masks, so I thought you can't get it, but I guess you can. And one parent stupidly worried their kid was exposed and tested their kid, and they tested positive, even though they were asymptomatic. So this guy's second grader who was in the carpool with the person who tested positive asymptomatically has to be locked down for 14 days. Mind you, his sixth grader already is locked down because the teacher tested positive with very mild symptoms in sixth grade, so the entire class is shut. But not only are they false positives, there's now a body of evidence that particularly there's an even greater rate of false positives among those who have coronavirus colds. Okay? Coronavirus colds. We already saw this. With SARS-1, where the PCR tests in British Columbia were testing positive for SARS, but really they had HCOV OC43, what's believed to be the most common of the coronavirus colds. It's a beta coronavirus. There's two alphas, two betas. This is a beta. 
which incidentally, SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, is also a beta. It's very similar to HCoV OC43. Very likely, just you know, just log- logically, that you'd have that cross pollination. You have the cross immunity, so you'll have the cross detection, right? So what's interesting is someone showed me this is from July a study in Europe conducted by Quality Control for Molecular Diagnostics, a Scottish-based company, on behalf of the European Union, did a external external quality assessment of European of of um, like four hundred different labs in thirty six European countries, maybe a couple others. They sent them eight blinded panels of supposed viral samples. So they're blinded. They wouldn't know what it was. And they said, go test it for us. Five of them really contained samples of non-infectious SARS-CoV-2 positive cells. Two contained samples of coronavirus colds, HCoV NL63 and HCoV OC43. And one was completely negative. They found with HCoV OC43, 2.9% false positive rate. And with uh, NL63, 3.1% false positive rate. Again, understanding that with only 2 to 5% positivity at any given point, that is a huge ratio. Remember, kid, who gets HCOVs even more? Kids, which is why they have the cross, partial cross immunity from T-cells. The T-cell memory that remembers the recipe had to ward off coronaviruses. That is the strongest evidence of what the strongest theory as to why kids are not getting the disease. They might test positive for SARS-CoV-2, but they're not really getting significant symptoms of COVID-19 precisely because they have those coronavirus colds. And they're going to be getting them more because they get them with the colder colder weather. Right? The COVID-19 seems to be more around the clock, the epidemic, but but the um coronavirus colds are more seasonal. So we're getting to a time where they're going to get them more. We're getting to the population where the, the, who gets it more. It's the very impetus for why we shouldn't worry. The existence of these coves is why we shouldn't worry about kids, why we shouldn't test them, why we shouldn't do anything different in schools, why we should get it normally, let God's immunological ecosystem work. Yet we're ignoring that, and we're treating it as if it's a serious problem to them, ignoring the fact that they have the cross immunity from the H-Coves. In the process, we're testing what is often detecting not COVID-19, but really the four coronavirus colds that are essentially the vaccine to COVID-19 for children. And we're treating that as a curse rather than a blessing and using that as an impetus to lock them down, close them up, keep them distant from kids. They can't play together and ensure that the next generation of young kids get fewer of those coronavirus colds and therefore have less, ironically and twistedly, less immunity to COVID-19 which we're told is the worst thing in the world, right? We have to do everything we can myopically with the exclusion of any other healthcare issue, any other public policy issue. We got to focus on that. So here we are sitting with the single greatest natural vaccine for kids against COVID-19 and we are weeding it out. We're wrongly detecting COVID-19, which is really the coronavirus colds that give them the immunity. And then we're closing the schools so they can't pass around these colds, which we now know is a blessing. It is un.
believable. Folks, there is a brand new pre-printed study out of Scotland. A sample of 300,000, 300,000 healthcare worker households. I think they chose them because it's a good study group because they're naturally going to be more likely to be exposed if, if someone's working in a hospital or healthcare setting in the family. Do you know what they found? I mean, when you see God's work in your life, it, it just gives you, when, you're, when you are able to see God's presence in your life, in science, it, it, it's the most beautiful thing. Quote, they concluded increased household exposure to young children was associated with an attenuated risk of testing positive for SARS-CoV-2 and appeared to also be associated with an attenuated risk of COVID-19 disease severe enough to require hospitalization. Remember, we talked about a German study that indicated not only are kids almost never susceptible to hospitalization to severe COVID-19 because of the cross immunity from the coronavirus colds, but what is the next rung, the next level in God's immunological ecosystem that gets the umbrella protection from kids? Well, it's people who are most often around kids. Parents, childcare workers, teachers, okay? Teachers. And what they found, unbelievably, is that people with two kids in the household under the age of 11, they had a 57% lower hospitalization rate compared to other cohorts adjusting for age, health status, and BMI and everything else. 64% decreased rate among those households with three children under the age of 11. Folks, I got four children under the age of 11. The infant, she's been, she's had, she's been, she's had a cold for like two months already. And it's always like, I feel bad for them. It's, it's hard. It's tough. They have trouble breathing. I mean, not really, but you know, you know what I mean? Like, it looks like they have trouble breathing. Um, I, I get colds very often. Those of you who are veteran listeners know you'll, you'll hear me every two months with a destroyed voice for about a week or even 10 days. I got four young kids. That's bound to happen. The schools are very much a spread of colds. And that is a beautiful thing. I'm guilty of it. I would always complain about it. Like, damn, these stupid colds the kids pick up. I hate it. I hate getting a cold. But a cold is better than a severe illness, right? That's what we call a vaccine. So not only does the proliferation of colds and flus among kids in schools contribute to protecting the kids, it contributes to protecting the teachers. I was like, oh, I don't want to go to school. I'm scared. You likely, if you are a school teacher and have been for the last number of years, you likely have that protection because you have more recent and more robust memory T cells Unless you're immunocompromised and, and then it, you know your system wouldn't work, maybe. But most people are going to have that. People my demographic, 30s, maybe 40s, depending on when you have your kids, do you have kids under the age of 11? 
on average, kids, especially under five, seem to get maybe two coronaviruses a year. Um, and it's interesting. They're, they're fascinating studies. You can Google them. You know, HCOV-C43 is, uh, produces more of a cough. Some are more of a headache. And notice that the symptoms are very similar. You know, they're, they're very similar. And look, those colds, as we saw with the nursing homes in British Columbia, HCOV-C43 can be deadly to people at the end of their life. But we always understood that's the way God's system works. And it's not worth tampering with that. This is what we did to ourselves by locking down the young with the old, the healthy with the sick. There is something broadly philosophical and scientific and theological to this specific data that I'm presenting today. And that is, God creates a perfect universe. And when I say perfect, I mean perfect in his design. It doesn't mean there's no suffering and death. Everyone has to die at some point, and they're going to die from things, including flus and epidemics. A certain number will unfortunately die, you know, a little younger, but mainly most people, as we see, it's really when they were meant to die. And you, you know, you do have people that get diabetes severely and heart disease. That will make them immunocompromised. And their system doesn't work as well. And God gives us permission and you shall heal. To try to learn and study his world and science. To come up with ways to mitigate that. But what you don't do is fix what ain't broken. What you don't do is to take people that have the functioning immune system. When clearly it's working and say I'm going to screw with it. And screw with the entire ecosystem and not only make everyone more like a bubble boy and sicker and more susceptible to things, but actually overturn and counterman the very element that makes 99% of people not susceptible to getting seriously ill from this. You want to target that 1%. And again, even that 1%, 80% wind up surviving and the survival rate is increasingly better over time. You target that. And then, of course, as we've said many times, just the entire notion of locking down and and isolating people, masks don't work at all. Isolation, I mean, as I said before, it doesn't guarantee you're not going to get it. Plenty of people, it's going to come when it comes. Plenty of people are like locked down, they get it anyway. But, you know, you, t- you take a thousand people functioning normally, a thousand people barely, you know, going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, on average, you'll have fewer cases among them. I'm not going to deny that. But is that a good thing? Because you're just, per- inevitably, you're all going to have to get it or be exposed to it. But what you're doing by doing that is you're making it that it's as likely that the people with the cross immunity, that the children... It's as likely as the people that are 400 times less likely to be hospitalized to get it as the you know, guy who's 75 with heart disease. You want to flatten that curve. 
if one person is 400 times more likely to die from it, I want to make the guy at the one 400 times more likely to get it. Right? That's how you burn it out. That's what Sweden did. They accuse us of sacrificing the sick for herd immunity. They're the ones doing it without it. Because then the virus will equally drag out longer and equally find its victims have more time to do that on an equal playing field. If you would have just told those at risk to isolate and had everyone else, but most importantly, the children stay in school since March, this would have been burned out much quicker. How do we know that? We know that from Sweden. It's obvious. It's patently obvious. Peru, highest death rate in the world, strictest, earliest, longest lockdown, universal mask wearing. When you screw with God's immunological ecosystem, you're causing problems. Again, I'm not a naturalist saying never do anything, never do certain. No, of course not. I think I think God gives us that acumen to, you know, have medical innovation, but you don't do it where it's not needed. You don't give antibiotics where it's not needed. You know, there's there's tons of research on the fact that, at least for certain things, babies born um, vaginally naturally have a much better immune system, at least initially, than those born at a C-section. This this is very very strong research behind that. Um, it just the the process itself gives them a certain um, immunity. Uh, that that is just a reality. What if I said, you know what, childbirth, you know, it it, it has its risks. It can get dicey. You have hemorrhaging sometimes. You have you know several other problems, complications. Let's just carefully surgically remove a baby every time. Let's just make C sections a standard. That's sick. That's horrible. You you should never do that. Does that mean C sections are bad? No. There are times where you see, or even if you don't see it, but the person you know already is very high risk and has things, you got to do it. And God wants you to do that, and that's fine. But you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. No pun intended. You got to follow the proper natural system that God created. You don't mess with that. We didn't lock down people for a cold. Have we ever done any mitigation for a cold for anyone, even older people? No. That's essentially what we're doing. Right now, this is either asymptomatic, false positive, falsely picking up another cold, or if it is COVID, it ranges from somewhere to an asymptomatic COVID to a flu, to to, to a cold, and really just in the worst cases a flu for the overwhelming majority of people and the people who will get it worse than a flu borderline clinical hospitalization level. We almost always know who the likely culprits will be. So we could better shield and target a quarantine or an isolation. What we are doing for most people is essentially screwing with God's system to avoid a cold. But it turns out that colds are really like vaccines. And by the way, you know the beauty of God's system? Like, you know, oh, you got to suffer a cold in order to 
avoid serious illness. Sometimes you don't need to even have to suffer that. You know this asymptomatic thing? I've, I've talked about this before. I've talked about this before. Everyone has all these funny terms. Oh, transmission, asymptomatic, this, that. They think there's something unique about COVID. There's nothing unique about it. These principles apply to every other respiratory illness. It's just we never care to obsess about it. There is a strong asymptomatic element with the flu. You know what I found today in my research? It's estimated that, I don't know if this is HCOV OC43 or one of the other coronavirus colds, but about 30% are asymptomatic with the coronavirus cold. Isn't that interesting? So some kids get coronavirus colds, or, or, or adults, but less common than kids. They get it, and, and they don't even know they got it. They're asymptomatic. Isn't that a great deal from God? That literally is like a vaccine. So, remember, you could be testing for coronavirus, COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, really. And you're really picking up. See, so the kid might have symptoms, but it's the coronavirus cold. Or he might not have symptoms, and you're picking up an asymptomatic version of a coronavirus cold, which is literally a vaccine, and you're now turning that into a curse. Folks, that is the presentation that you will not hear from these bogus medical professional professionals, these fake scientists, media-driven medicine, Media medicine, that's what we're getting. You know what? I'd take God's medicine. Anyway, we're out of time. I have so much more I left on the table. There's more information about Sweden, other studies I wanted to share with you about excess deaths. Fascinating. Um, the, the, the deaths are getting more and more bogus. Almost nobody is dying now. The ones you're hearing are all backlogged or bogus or made up. There's evidence that they're actually searching for more backlog than before. So in other words, like, you could, you could say there's a backlog. Daniel, you know, there's certain ones we're not going to get to later. Some, some of them have autopsies. It takes time. That's fine. But then you would expect at any given moment, let's say the rate is 15%. So at any given day, 15% of the deaths are backlogged. That percentage will be consistent the whole time. Guess what? It was about 15. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but let's say about 15%. Now it's 65% are backlogged. What does that tell you? That tells you that they're searching and it's become more political and they're more BS. The percentage of BS are worse. Whereas before, let's say 25% of COVID deaths were not really, they didn't really die of it. They just tested positive or thought to have it, but it didn't kill them. I would bet now it's exponentially higher than that. I think a majority of COVID deaths are, are crap now. It's just wrong. And we're gonna we're gonna set to proving that more you know, finally in the coming days. But again, send me your questions, observations. If you have stories you want me to see, you can post it at our Facebook page, Miniman Speakeasy or Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary. Follow me on Twitter at Arm Conservative. Email me, dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Till tomorrow. Thank you all for listening. God bless you all. And may God keep us healthy.